Oh, that's that's good coffee. Hey, welcome to the House of Bliss podcast. My name is Cole Harmon. It's a beautiful day in the Slavic Village neighborhood of Cleveland, Ohio, and there is no place in the world I would rather be, and I thank you for joining me here at my dining room table. Yeah, we have a fun, fun episode today about tidying up with Marie Kondo. But before I get into all that, I do have a couple of business things to fly through. Number one, if you like the sounds that you are hearing, if you are touched by this podcast at all, please consider supporting us. Just head to our Patreon page. There will be a link in the description and you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. That will help us keep going and it is much, much appreciated. I was surprised to see a whole new round of patrons in the month of March. So thank you guys. You make this possible. Next, If you're interested at all in uh, having me or my co-host Mark Duman do something at your church, whether that be a preach or a hangout sesh or some kind of live podcasting thing, hit us up on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash hobpod. Nice. I love saying that. And lastly, if you are new to listening to this show, welcome I just want to make you aware that there are two types of episodes. There are our main episodes, which are with me and another guy uh, just shooting the breeze and talking about all kinds of deep subjects. Last time we talked about authenticity and joy. And uh, yeah, those are much longer and more polished. There's music and all that stuff. But this, however, is a nugget that is just you and me sitting here at my dining room table talking about whatever's inspiring me. There's really no polish. It's just the raw good stuff. So yeah, if that sounds fun to you, then buckle up because we have a lot to talk about with Marie Kondo. Basically, the moment I saw the first episode, I was like, oh, I'm I'm doing a show about this. I loved it so much. Um, and that might be surprising for some of you coming from a more traditional Christian background. So why don't we back up? I started a series on basically on watching TV or movies with God. Started it with Stranger Things. And uh, if you go back and listen to that one, I give five principles for how I approach watching entertainment. I don't just watch anything and everything, and I and I certainly don't mean that uh, everything that comes across is good or of God, but I do think that if your eyes are open to it, uh, you will see the fingerprints of Jesus in the most unsurprising, or I'm sorry, in the most surprising of places. So just even if you don't like Stranger Things, just go back and listen to kind of the first part of that to get that. So with that said, let me give my disclaimer. I loved this show. I love the Comrie Method. I think it stands head and shoulders above other self-help methods that I've seen. But at the end of the day, it is just that. It is a self-help method. And just like any other method of outward uh, behavior management, it will fall short of bringing us true joy. Only Jesus Christ and him crucified and him in you and through you can bring you that lasting, happy, ecstatic joy day in and day out. Every single person is aching for the truth communicated in the gospel. 
Um, and on the other hand, too, there is nothing wrong or unspiritual about learning how to balance a checkbook, manage your schedule, uh, you know, learn the ins and outs of property taxes, whatever. There are some very good and helpful resources that come in completely non-Christian packages. And I think you're being foolish to just flush it all just because it doesn't necessarily align with your beliefs. But as long as it's placed in its proper context in your life, which is underneath the revelation uh, that Christ in you is your hope of glory. I also want to give another little disclaimer that I'm going to be borrowing heavily from a commentary called Blood, Guts, and Fire by a chap called Rob Bell. Some of you I know are already cringing, and I just want to say that though I do not agree with a lot of what he says, I found this to be a goldmine of helpful resource, and so it's called Blood, Guts, and Fire. Uh, I definitely highly recommend it. Wow, what a long intro. I apologize. Let's dive in. Okay, so Marie Kondo. Uh, before I actually get into the ins and outs of the show itself, which you should definitely watch. Uh, You don't need to to get something out of this episode, but it will certainly help. I think that we will find a lot of biblical basis for some of these ideas in the book of Genesis. So what you have to understand about Genesis is that at the time in that world, the dominant belief that everyone took as fact is that the gods or goddesses had some sort of conflict or argument, and that was what caused the world to exist. So at the very root of all creation is conflict and chaos. How many of you feel like that sometimes? Sometimes it's easy to look around at all the problems and things going on and think, wow, uh, if there is a god, he's either angry or this whole thing is just a big pile of chaos. And I definitely understand that. But when Genesis was written, uh, the Genesis story reveals something entirely wonderfully different about God. This God created out of joy. Yeah, it talks about how he arranged the stars and he arranged the sun and the moon. And it talks about how at every step of the way on each day, he stopped to say, it is good. In Genesis chapter 2, it talks about how he gave them everything, every every tree that was pleasing to the eye and good for food. <laughs> so this God from the get-go, the first, first, first things that he wants you to know about himself is that he's a designer and he's a chef. God creates in six days and on the seventh day rested. And all throughout Genesis, you'll find these very specific patterns of seven. In the book of Exodus, when God's giving the instructions for the temple, again, you'll find patterns of seven. And in Leviticus and all the sacrifices and such, you'll find patterns of seven. So what that tells us is through the number seven, God is saying, when you see the number seven, pay attention because that has to do with how God divinely ordered all of creation itself. So whatever's happening in the stories, when the number seven shows up, it's saying, this isn't just about what's happening in the story. This is about all of creation. And so by God resting on the seventh day, it tells you this, that hardwired into the very fabric of creation itself 
is joy, rest, and order. I was reading an article from a professor at a seminary talking about how the language used in Genesis is very specifically depicting God as a builder. And so what he's saying is that Genesis is a story about a God who's building a house for himself, a three-story house, heavens, earth, and oceans. And so uh, this is starting to get into why I named the show House of Bliss. But again, God created this house, and the very foundation of this house is joy, wonder, rest, order, um, all the things that run contrary to the idea of, of this whole thing being a chaotic accident. And not only did God create this house for himself to enjoy, but he made sure the trees are pleasing to the eye, the fruit is good for food. He wanted us to enjoy it with him, and he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. This God is with us. A lot of times we get this idea that the physical and the spiritual are separate worlds that have nothing to do with each other. But right from the get-go in the Bible, you see that spirit and physical were always meant to be married into one giant house together. Okay, But then, of course, things get out of order with the introduction of sin, of shame, of violence, of lying, of greed. Things get out of order and we'll skip way ahead, but God decides that he's going to essentially make a new creation. All right, And the way he does that is not by snapping his fingers and starting all over. No, he respects the people that he's made. So he works with them <clears throat> and he takes the people out of slavery and decides to have them build a new house for God to live in. And the amazing thing about that is he didn't set them aside from the world, but he set them apart for the world because ultimately he wanted to restore that divine order, which he did, thank God, in Jesus. Now, think about this. A lot of people will say something like aesthetics or design are trivial. And yet, if you look at the instructions for how God built his house, every single little detail mattered from the blue colored pomegranate pictures on the priestly robes to where the gemstones were placed to the gold to the direction it's facing every physical detail matters. And what you might not know is that in the instructions to build this tabernacle, this house for God, there are seven major sort of speeches, and in each speech contains seven different commands. So there's that pattern seven again. So what this is saying is that this house where God's physical presence can dwell in our world, this is not just about this is not just about um, some random story in the Bible. This is about how God wants all of creation to run. So the first thing that we need to understand is that the physical details in our lives matter. Having an order and an arrangement to things, that matters, and it actually uh, reflects heaven. So it says Moses, it says he followed the commands, everything according to the pattern that he was shown on the mountain. Now, obviously, we're not living in Old Covenant, Old Testament times. We are living in a new creation. We are literally seated in heavenly places in Christ, in this mystical realm called heaven, where there are no tears, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no disorder, there's no violence. Okay, so our lives are to be ordered. The way we run our households 
is supposed to be a reflection of that pattern that we see in Jesus Christ. Another little quick thing to note about this tabernacle or this house of God and the sacrifices is the Old Testament gets such a bad rap uh, for being so grim and bloody and horrible. But the thing you've got to realize is all of that sacrifice and killing business was going on in every single other culture. But the reason why they were doing it was out of this need to appease angry gods. So like literally God had to tell these people, please stop sacrificing your children. I don't want your human sacrifices. In God's house, the way he wants things ordered, remember it's all about the order of creation, right? Is at the very center of it all is the system of sacrifice. And where people get the whole wrong idea is there? there's five main types of sacrifice in the book of Leviticus. The first three are called free will offerings, meaning this. They're literally what God giving a people a language for how to express gratitude. So when they feel so happy that something that they just got to kill something, that's that's basically what God's giving them a language for. So the first three out of five sacrifices are what to do with your explosive joy. It's for giving a people who had no culture a healthy place to voice their gratitude and their joy. The other two types, the first one is about what to do when you need to make reparations with your neighbor, when you've hurt somebody in your life and you need a some sort of you know a, a ritual, a thing to go through together where you can actually make things right, like a real apology. And then the last one is just between people and God. And so literally the entire sacrificial system is built around joy. It's either how to express your joy, how to maintain your joy between your neighbors, or how to maintain joy between you and God, the entire system. And when it was done, uh, when they actually gave the first sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled his house, it says they shouted for joy and they fell on their faces. Yeah. So that just tells you the attitude that God has even about sacrifice. It's all about what sparks joy. So that brings me finally <laughs> to point number one of uh, tidying up. I love in the Comary method, <clears throat> the way that she has people get rid of things. Minimalism is this thing that's really popular. Right? I just don't really resonate with. And why I like Marie Kondo's method better is because it's not about simply getting rid of stuff. It's not about having less stuff. It's about being intentional about what is in your life. And so, you know, for example, when she has people go through clothes, uh, she'll have people gather every single one of their articles of clothing into one giant pile and she'll have them sift through. And the question she has them ask as, as they hold each item in their hands is, does this spark joy? And if it does not, she'll also have them ask, is this something that I want to bring into my future? Now, if they say yes, then they keep it. If they say no, she has them do something very odd and she has them thank the article of clothing for what it served, but let go of it, say goodbye to it, basically. Uh, there's a point in one of the episodes where this girl is going through her closet 
and she's got a dress. It's ratty, it's faded, and it doesn't even fit her. It will never fit her again. And so she, uh, Marie asks her, like, why are you holding on to this dress? And she had the hardest time letting go of it. And then she reveals why, because when she was growing up, she was very poor, and her grandmother made it a special point to surprise her with this dress on her 16th birthday. Uh, it was a big deal. She got to pick it out. And so she realized what was really going on in her heart was she was afraid of the future without her grandma who had passed on. And so she was having trouble letting go of this physical item because it's never just about the physical stuff that you own, but your heart, your memories, your your subconscious is manifested in all the things that you own. And so she realized if she wanted to let go of this, she would have to let go of the fear of the future. She would have to let go of the the poverty mindset that was holding her back. So she thanked the dress for all the wonderful memories that it brought to her, but realized it is not something that she needs in her life. I believe this very strongly, that sin is never just a behavior issue, but everything that you do on the outside is related to something that's going on on the inside, whether good or whether it's bad, it doesn't matter. And one thing I love about this show is that it connects us to this idea that the spiritual and the physical are inseparably linked to each other. The more you realize that, uh, the more harmony you can create in your environment. So we get taught to be consumers. We get taught to think carelessly, just buy a bunch of stuff, use it, and then you know either throw it out or just hoard it or whatever. But we never think about the strong connection, the fact that what you buy is how you worship God. What you own is a way that you worship God. Everything in your house and in your life has a, a, a thought or a feeling attached to it. You know, think about it this way. Sometimes people want to knock the Old Testament because they're slaughtering all these bulls and goats and it seems so barbaric. Um, but as Rob Bell points out in his commentary, he's saying, honestly, uh, back then, at least they had an intimate connection with the animals that they were slaughtering. If they knew it was without defect, that means that they had inspected it, they had raised it, they had knew this animal. So when they offered it up to God, it actually really meant something. Fast forward to nowadays, we're slaughtering millions and millions and millions of chickens just to make chicken nuggets, and we never think twice about it. So really, it's like the only difference is now we have separated um, our, our spirit from the action. So I think like the KonMari method, what I like about it is that it kind of restores that connection between what you produce, what you consume, and what you own is connected to a spiritual reality, an internal reality. And every single thing matters. Now, I don't want to freak you out too much because I don't get into like feng shui or anything like that, but I think there is a grain of truth in realizing that uh, if your house is just complete catastrophe, it's going to cause anxiety. There's something deeply disturbing about watching those shows about hoarders because think about it. If, if all the stuff that you own is connected to your heart in some way, if you're hoarding a bunch of stuff out of a poverty mindset, then all that stuff is sort of projecting into the atmosphere a poverty mindset. Now, I know, I know, I know. That is just so 
metaphysical and crazy, uh, but I think there is something to it. And it probably sounds weird to us because we've just been so conditioned to be consumers who don't think twice about what we own or why we own it. So that kind of brings me to my next point. I love... (laughs) Oh man, <laughs> I, just, I know this really bugs some people, but I love that she takes a minute to sort of pray to the house, and uh, it's just something that's always a special experience for the people. Now, I don't believe that my house has a soul. Uh, I don't pray to my house, of course, but here I do think there's value in dedicating a space. We were called to tend and keep the garden. I'm not in charge of the whole world, but I'm in charge of my property that I bought. So Katie and I were so excited when we bought our first house because all of a sudden this house and the adjacent yard that we bought next door, you know, this is our space. And so we we were very intentional about saying we're going to dedicate this space to one thing, and that is encountering Jesus, that when people step on this property, they would come to know Jesus in a fresh way. They would have encounters. They would have dreams. They would be physically healed. They would have healing in their in, in their inner world, like all kinds of stuff. Like this is a place for the glory. I can't control how the city of Cleveland runs things, but this is my space. And my space is going to look according to the pattern that I've seen in heavenly places. And in heaven, everything has beauty. Everything has a function. Everything matters. Everything has intentionality and it points to the beauty of God, the love of God, the joy of God, the life of God. And that is how I want to run my household. So you moms out there or you stay at home dads, which I'm, I am one of those uh, at this point, that desire to have a clean home, that desire to make an amazing room for your baby or whatever have you. So many people are are used to being told that that's not important because it may never get you likes on Facebook, but it is a godly desire. And every time that you beautify your home uh, in a in a in a small sort of way, you are actually participating in the kingdom of God. Because remember those patterns of seven. Everything about the house of God is actually all about how creation itself is meant to run on joy, on rest, and on order. Another another valuable thing about having a dedicated space is uh, justice starts at home. Now, I deeply desire and long to see my neighbors uh, come to know their heavenly identity in Christ, to have reconciliation between races and my city and stuff like that. But where that starts is in my own home, between my own family members and between my extended family members. You know, in the book of Acts, there's this movement where it says the gospel spread from Judea to Samaria and then the ends of the earth. Uh, There's times where it said someone would get saved and their entire household would get saved. The salvation of God is all about reconciliation. And if we want to see that in the rest of the world, it starts with us and it starts with our own homes. And when we can get it, uh, we can get it on lock there. Uh, we have the confidence to bring it out there. That's not to say that God's not everywhere. All of creation is God's house. But having a specific space set aside where we say this is a space where people are meant to experience that can be very good and helpful. And so I encourage you, if you've never, I'm not telling you to pray to your house, but have you ever declared over your house? Have you ever prayed over your home and said, this is what I want to see? And then when you have that, 
literally it's like even the stuff you buy at the store does that fit this purpose or does it not it's like everything in your home uh starts to reflect that pattern cool i'm feeling it you guys feeling it the other thing too is there's something deeply healing and spiritual about cleaning the house uh what's so amazing about this show is the freedom that the transformation of their home can bring to their entire lives because it's related to what's going on in their spirit people start to realize that again their entire life was ordered around what they produce and around functionality but remember god is not all about functionality he's about functionality and beauty and so they look in their closet and they realize wow everything in my closet is just about what works i don't really find joy in a single thing that i own and so and so sometimes man the most important thing you can do for yourself is not to go to another conference or this or that it's to just get a good haircut or to buy some new clothes another thing i love about this show is um sometimes she'll ask people to do the thing where they ask if it sparks joy and their first response is like i don't know i don't know if it sparks joy uh i mean i wear it and so she talks about how okay start with something obvious like a picture of a family member that you love or you know a fluffy sweater for your dog whatever something that actually brings you joy and just pay attention to that feeling and as you go through this process of looking through your stuff it's like you begin to hone a sense of joy i've noticed that for people who have kind of a tough time initially feeling the presence of god that oftentimes uh because they're not you know (laughs) flopping on the ground like somebody else they think oh this isn't for me And in that, they miss the fact that maybe just their pinky is tingling, okay? Well, if you stop and say, wow, I'm so thankful that, (laughs) you know, my pinky is tingling, like all of a sudden, the next time it's your whole arm and the next time it's your whole body and before you know it, you are a Holy Ghost drunk with the rest of them. There's just value in honing your sense of joy because we're so trained not to see that. And this is where I want to end. Thank you for sticking with me. I hope you had as much fun listening as I had Uh, talking about it Um, but there's a couple of things what about like materialism in first john it says love not the world or the things in the world right some of you are like see i gotcha that verse disproves no it does not let's break this down for a minute this comes to us in first john first john has a theme running through it about idols about not letting idols take place in your life what you have to realize about the ancient world is for them it was a literal temptation to worship as god a physical object case in point the golden calf in the story of moses literally god is on the mountain in blazing fire and so they're like you know what we should do we should make a golden calf and worship it as god and thank it for bringing us out of egypt like it's such a different headspace and so the word that they use in first john for love is from the word agape which means divine love all that to say this first john is not talking about enjoying your toyota too much it's saying don't put your stuff in your god spot because stuff will never take the place of the lasting joy and presence of the living god in your life 
worshiping things, getting, and actually in the lexicon, it talks about how this type of love means you can't live without it. So if you ever get to a point with your stuff where you cannot live without it, that's the problem this is addressing. Now, I'll say it for the whole world to hear. I love my 2002 Burgundy Toyota Highlander with goofy 80 stripes on the back. It is a beautiful machine and I love that car and I've probably spent way too much money on that car but here's the thing if that car was gone tomorrow I would be okay because I'm not worshiping it so I can confidently say I love my car but what I won't say is I'd love my car like I need my car I hope that makes sense so don't let that religious mindset come in and say oh well it's bad to take joy in things no no, no. again All your ultimate joy is meant to be found in Christ. And I will say this, you could be locked in a dark, dank cell and still uh, find beautiful communion and fellowship with Jesus. You could be like Stephen, uh, the martyr in, in the book of Acts. He's literally having stones thrown at his head and he doesn't stop to say, ouch. He says, look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Like Jesus is all the joy you need. But that doesn't negate the truth that uh, that God gave you this physical world to be enjoyed and as a mode of enjoying him. All right. <clears throat> and lastly, what about everybody else? What about the people starving to death? What about this? What about that? I did talk about that a lot more in detail on our last main episode. Episode four is uh, you can find it. But the thing with that is like, yeah, that that should bother you. The fact that there are people in poverty is a direct violation of the order of the kingdom of heaven, and you have a part to play in that. But that does not mean that you need to abandon the joy of living the life that God created you to live. I hope that makes sense. See, in the kingdom of heaven, there is both enough uh, for artistic expression of beauty and worship, and there is also enough to go around to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. Jesus said it best. We're going to end with this. They got on Mary for dumping a year's worth of wages on Jesus. And what did he say? Did he say, geez, Mary, you should have sold that and bought food for the hungry. No, he said, what she did will be remembered because the poor you will always have with you. But me, you will not. And he's basically saying this. Look, there's enough to go around to give to the poor, but there is always, there is always a value for acts of extravagant worship in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. So this is what I want to release to you today. May you know that every bit of your life is sacred, that every act, every item you own, every show you watch is an act of worship. And I pray that you discover that Christ is in you and you are in Christ and everything is built on joy It's built on rest and it's built on order. That ultimately, this world was not born out of chaos, but it was born out of a beautiful order. Yes. Ah. Oh.